0: Good morning, everybody. So, we are in a series called Rich Toward God here at Bachelor Creek. It's money month. Uh, For the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking into this series. And if you don't have a book that we gave out on week one, or actually prior to week one, called Rich Toward God, we would love for you to pick up one of these books today. We're going through this book chapter by chapter. This week, we're going to be looking at chapter two and what it talks about. So, if you don't have one, up to my right here on the corner of the stage after service, if you want to come up. You can take one home. We're just asking that you take one per family unit and follow along with us in this great study. Now, the reason why we are talking about money is because talking about money is very uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Somewhat offensive? No, talking about money is something Jesus did a lot, right? And the reason why Jesus talked a lot about money is because he knows that every single human being is going to have a relationship with money in their lifetime. Some of us have healthy, positive relationships with our money. Where we control it, it does not control us. Others of us have a more troubled relationship with money, which leads to a troubled life. And Jesus said that he came... To bring the abundant life to his followers he says i want my followers to have the best possible life the richest possible existence that a human being can have so jesus says anything that threatens to derail that i'm going to speak to my people about it and i'm going to give them a better way and we said that the reason why we are talking about money here in bachelor creek is really why God talks about money throughout all of Scripture and has so much to say about it. It's why Jesus talked about it one out of every three parables. It's why one out of every six verses that Jesus is quoted as addresses money, wealth, possessions. There's well over a thousand verses in Scripture that have to do with the same thing. And here's the reason why, folks. Hear me out. This is so important that you get this. By the way, thanks for coming back. I thought after last week saying we're going to start a money series, it would be crickets in here today. So thank you for coming back. All right? But the reason why it's all over scripture is because of this. Because God wants something for us more than he wants something from us. And last week we stated loud and clear what God wants for us. He wants us for all of his followers. And we said that what God wants for you and what God wants for me is for you and I to be what? So even though you came back, you weren't really listening last week, were you? So I'm really glad I'm doing this kind of catch-up for everybody. We said that God wants us to be rich. And all the visitors are like, yes, I'm glad I found the right church finally, right? But there's more to it than just that. It was, he wants us to be rich, dot, dot, dot. He wants us to be rich toward what? Toward God, just like the title of this book. And we looked at what does it mean to be rich toward God? What kind of mindset do we need to cultivate? Where does our heart need to go in order for us to be rich toward God like God desires us to be? And here's what we said. That requires you and I and all followers of Christ to cultivate within ourselves not an ownership mentality, but a what? Stewardship mentality. All right? Those are two things. You see your money through one of those two windows. You see yourself as either an owner or you see yourself as a steward. And because these are kind of technical words, we can give you a one-word definition of each. Let's boil it down to one word, okay? Ownership. Definition of that is where we would say it's mine. I have all the rights and privileges to it. It belongs exclusively to me. Stewardship, the one-word definition for that is his. It's God's. I'm not the owner. I've just simply been entrusted with something, and God is going to use me as a conduit from which it flows out from me to wherever God desires me to give it, all right? So two mindsets. One says it's mine. One says that it is his. And there's a central story that we're looking at, and this book is all about unwrapping um, some of the details and some of the lessons behind this one story, It's found in Luke chapter 12, and Jesus tells this story to address greed, all right, because two brothers were in the crowd, and one of the brothers said, hey, Lord, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me, and Jesus says, whoa, listen, be on guard against all kinds of greed, so he tells this story, so let's kind of do a little, um, remembrance of where we were last week in this story from Luke 12 16 it says here then he told them a story because Jesus whenever he wanted to make a point he always tried to make that point using a story because it's more memorable right here's the story a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops and he said to himself what should I do I don't have room for all my crops now that's a great question right it's a smart question question it's a responsible question it's simply not the best question because what that reflects right there is ownership what should i do with all my crops a better question would be god what do you want me to do with what you have given me right because i'm just a steward then verse 18 jesus continues then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So this guy's got a problem. He comes up with a solution, and he's got it all figured out, what he's going to do, okay? He's very smart, he's very strategic, so what's wrong with his plan? Well, Jesus continues. But God said to him, You fool! You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? So here's the question. Why would Jesus say the assessment of this guy's life, even though he worked hard, even though he tried to be responsible, even though he tried to come up with a plan, why would Jesus say the assessment of this guy's life can be summed up in one word? Fool. He's foolish. Here's why. Here's how Jesus wraps everything up in a bow. Verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool. To store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Here's what Jesus is getting at. This guy had really, really big barns. He had lots of stuff. But he had a really, 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 really small heart toward God. He was rich in a worldly kind of way, but spiritually, he was impoverished. And Jesus told this story I told you to make a point about greed. Because greed is so sneaky and it's so subtle that here's what greed does in your life and it does it in mine. I'm speaking from personal experience here, okay? What tends to happen in my life is I underestimate the level of greed that I have. And I overestimate how generous I am. Anybody else in here do the same thing? Yeah, because greed is not my problem. Greed is somebody else's problem, right? It's not something I struggle with, but that's somebody else's problem. So what would be helpful is if God would settle this generosity question just once and for all. That if God would give us like this measuring stick by which we could measure ourselves when it comes to generosity, right? Because it seems like when it comes to the things of God, the things that God wants in our life, Sometimes it's really hard to measure ourselves to know, where do I stand? I mean, God wants us to be a prayerful people, right? So how do I know if I'm a prayerful person? What's the standard? What's the expectation? Do I pray for 20 minutes at a time or three times a day or five times a day? What's the standard for being prayerful? What's the standard for being forgiving? We want to be forgiving people. How many times do I have to forgive in order to be considered a forgiving person? So when it comes to generosity, when it comes to not embracing an owner mindset, but a stewardship mindset, wouldn't it be nice if God gave us a standard by which we could measure ourselves so that I'm not underestimating my level of greed and I'm not overestimating my level of generosity? Wouldn't that be nice if God gave us a standard? How many of you agree that that would be really nice, that would be helpful? Yeah, you're not interested, are you? Probably because some of you know where I'm going with this, and that is this. God has already given us the standard. Scripturally speaking, it's called a tithe. And in layman's terms, tithe means 10%. That's where we get it. That's the standard that God has laid out for us. And here's what I know. As soon as I said tie, as soon as I said 10%, some of you immediately, like I can just tell, you stiff-armed me. Right? But I'm okay with that. Because you know what I see in a stiff arm? I see a potential high-five, all right? <laughs> it's just a matter of like 18 inches, you're here right now, but I'm hoping to get you by the time we're done to like, yeah, here, and you're like, yahoo, high-five, right? So let me just say right now that this is not really about this. This is about that. You don't know what that is yet because I haven't told you what that is. But we are going to go from this to that. But you've got to see me through this before we get to that because you're really going to like that, okay? And you know what this does? This, within ourselves, it brings up a lot of uh-oh feelings. It brings some fear, trepidation, right? I agree. But that, when we get to that, you know what that's going to bring about? Oh, yeah. So you've got to help me here and we're going to plow through the uh uh-ohs so we can get to the oh yeahs. okay are you with me i'm hoping that that will turn to this by the time we get done and we're going to look at right now one of the most classic texts about tithing it comes from the old testament book the very last book in the old testament from the prophet malachi all right or if italian you might call him malachi okay malachi the prophet And we're going to look in Malachi chapter 3, but let me tell you what's going on in Malachi, all right? What the book of Malachi is, it is a scathing rebuke from God toward his people, all right? Because they are living in all-out rebellion against what God has called them and the way that God has called them to live. And so God's going to point out kind of systematically through Malachi, here's where you're screwing up and here's where you're screwing up and here's where you're not keeping your end of the deal. How's that working out for you, God says. So let's look at Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8, okay? Because here's one of God's beefs that he has against him. Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Again, here it is. We are underestimating our level of greed, and we're overestimating our level of generosity. Like, God, what are you talking about? When have we ever done that to you? And here's what God says. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. You see, God says, listen, Israelites, we had this kind of deal going on. Remember that through Abraham, I said I would be your God and you would be my people? Well, listen, you are not being the kind of people that I called you to be. And therefore, I, as your God, can't bless you and give you the things that I want to as your God. Because you're not being the people that I've called you to be. Again, he's like saying, how's that working out for you on that? So here's the corrective action. Because God is a God of grace and forgiveness and he wants us to get it. He says, now... Here's where you're screwing up. Here's what you can do to to get on the right path. We see here in verse 10, here's what he says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, if you get decisive about this, if you put your feet on this path, if you obey me, if you honor me in this way, here's what God says says, the Lord of heaven's armies. I love that. Just showing the supremacy of God. He's in control. He's large. He's in charge. If you do this, I will open the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. So. Let's talk for a minute about this standard, because this is a standard that God has established through his word, okay? Let's talk about some things that really make this a great standard. One of the things I love about this standard is what's at the end of this number? What do we call that? Huh? What do we call it? A percentage. Okay, we call that a percentage. You know what I love about that? Because God could have taken anything. God could have just said, here's the set number that I want everybody to bring. And it could have been oppressive for some to generate that number and not so oppressive for others. So what I love about this number right here with the percentage is that it's scalable. It's customizable. It's relative to your income, right? So if your income goes up, This doesn't change. If your income goes down, this does not change. It's not about a matter of equal giving, everybody bringing the same amount. It's about a matter of equal sacrifice, equal generosity from every person. And finally, what I like about this standard is that God says there is a test attached to it. And you know the best part about this test how many of you have ever taken a standardized test? You've taken the ACT, you've taken the SAT, the PSAT, you've taken ISTEP. How many of you in here have ever taken those? All right. What if on the day of your test, the Lord of Heaven's Army says, SAT day, huh? We're like, yeah, I'm a bundle of nerves. College entrance is writing on this. Why don't you let me take the test for you? God, you're going to take the test for me? Yeah, you just you scoot over and I'll, I'll take the test for you. How many of you would have a hard time about whether or not to let God take the test for you? The omniscient, all-knowing God is going to take your SAT. So you know when you get it back, you're like, hey, got a 1600 on the SAT. Well, how'd you do that? Well, I know a guy, right? <laughs> not a hard choice, right? Now, this is a test for us. God says it. But you know who it's more of a test for? It's more of a test for God. So you can pick, and I can pick, a different number than this one right here. But the number associated with the blessing, the number associated with heaven's windows coming open and a blessing being poured out is the number 10. So it's in our greater benefit, it's in our greater interest for us, for you and I, to let God take the test in this area instead of letting us take it on our own. Because no matter how good you are with your money or how good I am with my money, nobody's better with money than God, amen? And here's what I know about people in this room. I know that we're all across the board when it comes to this matter, right? Because there's really about three kinds of people when it comes to giving or tithing there's option a people who say you know what i tried it and it works that god was faithful i did what he said and he did what he told me what i would do and it's just like wow it works it's not just something you read about it actually works I have yet to meet the man or the woman who put God to this test who would say, no, God failed. In fact, every person I've ever talked to who was a top option A person is someone who would say, not only did he pass, he passed with flying colors. That's what God did. So we've got the option A people who said, I've tried it and it works. There's option B people who say this, I haven't tried it. Because I can't. And I've got a lot of sympathy for people in this corner. Because you've got money problems, or you're in a troubled relationship with money, and you just, whether maybe your spouse doesn't agree with with this kind of giving, or maybe you've figured out all the math, you've crunched numbers, and you're just like, Solomon, I I just can't get it to work. I mean, I'm giving some, but I I just can't get to that 10% point because it just doesn't add up on paper, And listen, I get it. I'm with you. And the last thing I want to do with you this morning is just pile things onto you and make things a lot more difficult. So just hang with me, all right? And we're going to get to a better place for you, I promise. So there's option A. I've tried it and it works. Option B, I haven't tried it because I can't. Then there's option C people that say, I haven't tried it and I don't want to. Hmm, right? Now here's the good news I have for you. Everybody that's ever gotten to option A, they've tried it and they worked. You want to guess where they started? They all started at option C or option B. Do you know how I know that? Because there has never been in the history of humanity a child that comes forth from the womb that says, I love to tithe! It's a growing process, right? It's something you develop into. You don't start off from day one when you're born in the world, right? It's, it's something that you grow into. So everybody who gets to option A, everybody who gets to this, they got there by starting with B or C. Now, here's what we're tempted to think. We think, oh, you know what? I know how they got to A. Apparently, they started making a whole lot more money, and because they now have more money, they now have the ability to be an option A kind of person. It's just a matter of, of math and logistics, right? Sounds logical, doesn't it? But statistically, that does not pan out. Here, let me tell you this. For Americans who make $25,000 or less a year, you want to guess what they're giving percentages of their income, what they give to kind of charitable causes? Or churches, you know what percentage they're at? $25,000 or less, 4.2%. So let's play that out a little bit, okay? Let's say somebody makes $100,000 or more. So surely we think since they, they make four times the amount of money as the guy making $25,000, they're probably going to give like four times as much. They're probably going to give like 16, close to 17% because they got so much more money. Sounds reasonable, Right? But do you know what the average giving in america is for people who make a hundred thousand dollars or more two point seven percent translation money doesn't make people more generous god makes people more generous more money doesn't lead to more releasing. More money, we find, leads to more clutching and and holding on to, right? So the change from option B or C doesn't come with more money to get to option A. You know what it comes with? It comes with more faith. And as long as we see this as a hard, fast rule... Where it's an I have to, it's going to be a real struggle for us to ultimately release. But when we see this, not about a rule, but as about a relationship, wow, it makes all the difference. Because even God in the Old Testament As he's establishing his covenant with Israel, he's saying, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. Even the language that he uses around the tithe, when he says, you're going to be my people, it's not tithe, 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 tithe. You know what he's saying to his people? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. It's all about a relationship. And the tithe was Israel's way of saying, God, you are first that when i have income the first portion's going to go to god because god it's symbolic that you're first in my heart you're first in my life and you're first of everything that i am so god the first part goes to you because it's about a relationship not about a hard fast rule even the Ten Commandments, right? We look at the Ten Commandments and we say, well, that's like ten rules for how God wants us to live. Listen, what's the very first commandment? The very first commandment God is saying to, to his people, I want a relationship with you. I want you to know me as your father, as your creator, as your friend. I don't have any other gods but besides me. I want a relationship with you. It's not a rule. It's a relationship to put me first likewise Jesus was saying something about this rich guy's heart not necessarily about his barns because you know this rich guy that Jesus was talking about who amassed so much he would have been a Jewish guy He would have known everything that God was commanding and instructing when it comes to the tithe. And yet, you know what he did? He never put his pencil to paper to do the math about what is it I need to give God and return back to God. No, all he was thinking about is me building bigger barns, me having this amazing retirement plan so that I can sit back, relax, and enjoy. It was the classic ownership mentality that this guy possessed. And Jesus... Wants to set us free from that so that instead of being rich, we can be rich toward God. Here's what Jesus says in Mark 8:36. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What do you gain if you have the biggest barns ever built in human history? but you don't have any room, any place in your heart for God. Here's the conclusion. Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, I said that this is really about that. It's about what's in this passage that we're looking at here. Look at what God promises he will do. Look at the that that's coming from the this Bring all the tithes into the storehouse there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, if you do this, God says, the Lord of heaven's armies, if you trust me, if you make this about a relationship with me and not about a rule, here's what he says. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great You won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God is making a deal with us. A deal that we can trust him in. Because this tithing is really about that. You know what that is? That is trusting. The question should never be, Do I have to tithe? The question should always be, can I trust God? That's what it all boils down to. It is a test of our faith, but you know what's the greatest test of, even more than our faith? It's a test of God's faithfulness to us. It's a test that God can demonstrate in very practical and powerful ways in our lives that he's always going to come through for us, even when it seems like it's impossible. That's what it's a test of. And God could have made it about any area of our lives, but he chooses to make it about this relationship that we have with money. And you know why I think he chooses to make it about this relationship more than anything else in our life? Because it's this area of our life that's going to require the most what? Most what? Faith. This is all about faith. It's all about testing God's faithfulness. So God says, you get out of your heart, and I will give out of my heart. And that's a deal. That's a good deal. You know why that's such a good deal? Because who do you think has a better heart, God or us? God. Who do you think's a better giver, God or us? God's a much, much better giver. And in fact, it's the only place in Scripture that God gives permission for you and me to test him. And that's what he's saying over. Test me in this. Try me in this for the express purpose that you'll know that you can always trust me. Trust me. Trust me. So God loves to bless people. Just like you and I, we have our children. We love to bless our children, right? We love to do good things for our children. And scripture teaches over and over and over that we have a God who's the God that's of the open hand. He's generous, he's kind, he's loving, and he loves to bless people. And here's the last thing I want you to hear today. The last thing I want you to hear is that God is only going to bless those people who tithe that God is only going to bless a certain group of people, okay? Because even Jesus said this. Jesus said that God causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust, on the good and the wicked. They're still experiencing goodness from God. He doesn't discriminate when it comes to that. But here's what I want you to hear. The greatest blessing that you will receive from God that far surpasses his daily blessings of people all around the world will come, and you and I will experience it based upon what we've already done with what he has already given to us. That's when the real blessings come. So hear me out. Here's how it works. If you're an option C person who says this morning, I haven't tried it, and I don't want to, God says, okay, listen, I'm cracking open the windows of heaven and the blessings are falling down, and because I'm a generous God, I'm making this available to people, but look at you. You don't have your hands out to even be able to receive it. You don't have the capacity to even partake of it, because look at your attitude towards us. You're you're just not going to be able to partake of it because it's falling, but you don't have any means by which you can catch it. Or maybe you're an option B person, the person that says, you know What? I haven't tried it because I can't. And and you're sort of like this. Your your hands are, your your fists are kind of clenched and they're kind of closed. And so it's like the blessings are kind of coming down, but they're just kind of barely touching you. You you, you haven't been able to open up and receive them. But the option A person who says, you know what, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to try it, I know it's going to hurt some, and it's going to be painful, and it doesn't add up on paper, but God, I'm going to I'm going turn this over to you, so I'm going to open up. Wow. Wow. It really does work. They told me it would work, but I never really believed it would work. But it works. God is faithful, and he's providing in a, in a way that only he could do, because again, it doesn't add up, and I didn't think I was in a position to, but God wow, you told me to do what I should do and you said you would do what only you could and you're right. Should that surprise any of us? That God will do what he says he will do. Should it surprise any of us at all? Jesus reinforced the words of Malachi. Here's what Jesus said about it, Luke six thirty-eight. Give and you will what? Say it with me. Receive. You do this, and it's going to come back to you in some form or fashion, right? Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give, you get back. So we can be like this. This, or like this. And Jesus says it's all relative. The measure you give, the measure it will be returned to you. Let me just tell you this, folks. It just reiterates what I said early on. God doesn't need your money. There's scripture after scripture after scripture that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He already owns everything. This is not about what God needs. It's about what we need. And we need to know that our God is faithful. And he says, I've given you a way in your everyday comings and goings, in the practicality of life, I've given you a way to put me to the test, to prove to you over and over and over that I am faithful. now, since the Garden of Eden, that's been the one question mankind has always struggled with. It's the question the enemy lured Adam and Eve with. With this question, basically, can God be trusted? Can he really be believed? Can you really take him at his word? Is it reliable? And God says, here's a way for you to know every day that you can me Now listen to me folks for those of you who are the option B or the option C kind of people here's what i want you to think about for just a moment okay and i'm, I'm wrapping up with this want you think about what it was like when you learned to ride a bicycle by the way in here how many of you all know how to ride a bike anybody everybody in here know how to ride a bike okay some of you might not know but you know we all i think probably a lot of us had the same experience you know, I learned to ride a bike on like a 1977 Red Schwinn with the banana seat and tassels, right? And you know, the, the scariest part about riding a bike is when? When you first start, right? Because that's when you get the bumps and the scrapes and the bruises, and that's when your fear is at an apex, and you're like, am I going to die on this thing, Right? So to kind of get you there to the point where you can ride and feel confident and comfortable and have the freedom that riding a bike brings to somebody, where you can feel the wind in your air and you can ride like to the end of the block and you kind of got your own set of wheels right, to get you to that point, your mom and dad, if they loved you enough, they put on something to help out. Do you remember what they were called? Training wheels, right. Were training wheels the destination? Is that where they wanted you to stay? Like when you're 21, tooling around the neighborhood and you're training wheels on your bike, you know? No, that'd be a weird sight, wouldn't it? That's not the destination. That's just to kind of help you get there to the ultimate goal of riding a bike on your own. So if you're option B or C person this morning, let me make a recommendation for you, okay? Get some training wheels. I don't know what that looks like for you. But the training wheels will ultimately get you to the standard. So maybe it's 2% or 4% or 6%. Just something incrementally where you can go to, knowing that's not the destination. That's just to kind of help me learn this whole thing. With the idea of getting to the end of no training wheels, and I meet and I get to the point of this. Which we know this is not really about this. This is about that. And God says, when you do this and you get to that, you're really going to enjoy that a whole, whole lot. You know, every week when we get together, you and I are confronted in the time of the Lord's Supper with whether or not we really believe with what we say we believe. When we hold that cup and we hold that bread in our hands, we're confronted with asking the question, you know, do I really believe in a God who spoke and everything came into existence? Do I really believe in a God who can part waters and deliver his people? Do I believe in a God who can make springs gush up and rain fall and flood the entire earth? Do I believe in a God who made blind eyes see? and deaf ears hear, and lame legs walk? Do I believe in a God who made a virgin be with child, and he articulated the life of that child, predicted the life of that child, over and over and over through the years, down to the last detail where he knew that child's death and resurrection? Do I believe that? Do I believe that this God can somehow take this sinful, cursed body that's going to die, and he can redeem it, and he can breathe new life into it, and he can make me immortal instead of mortal, and he can prepare a place for me that will be everlasting, and I never have to be intimidated by the enemy of death again. Do I believe that? And I think all of us would say to the things that I've listed already, yes, I believe that. But you know what? God, if I give to you, I don't know if you can pay my electric bill. Does that ring of any kind of absurdity to anybody in here? That God can do all these things, but he can't meet my most basic needs. Why is it? We trust God, or we say we trust God, with the most precious thing we have, our life, our soul, our health, our eternal destination. But God, this resource you've given me, I don't know if I can trust you with that. So, as we ponder right now, right here, right now, what God did to solve the sin problem that you and I, Scripture says, were powerless. We were powerless to do anything in our sinful state. God solved it all. God delivered us all. God said, I've got a better way, and I'm planning a beautiful eternity for you through Christ. As we ponder that, let us also ponder the other things that we can trust our loving Father with as well. will not you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. I know this is a tough thing to hear, Lord, but it shouldn't be. Because you've called us to be your people. And you've called us to trust you, trust you, trust you, trust you. And Lord, I, I pray for the people who are the B or the C people today. But they'll say, I'm going to start. I'm going to do something. I'm going to sit on some training wheels today, and I'm going I'm to put you to the test, Lord. And Lord, we know that the promise of blessing is attached to the 10, but Lord, the promise of faithfulness is, is there for everybody. You're going to be faithful to make sure your children have what they need. So Father, I pray that some people will start on the training wheels, and that some people, over the course of the next couple months or the next six months will get off and they'll get to the desired destination of the bike, of riding without, and they'll enjoy the freedom that comes with that, Lord, and experience your blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this standard that you've given to us so that we don't overestimate our generosity or underestimate our level of greed. We know you're doing this, Lord, ultimately because you love us, not because you need anything from us, but because you love us. And you've proved you love us, Lord, by giving us the best possible you could give us in the person of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we remember him and we remember how much you gave right now for our sakes so that we could have hope and eternal life. So thank you, Father. Help us to trust you in other ways in our daily lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.